0: Do I just hit at the start? Oh, I already oh, I already did. all right, sweet. So I wanna, I wanna. 1st of all, introduce myself. Uh, my name is Jake Graham. For those who don't know, I serve in the ministry in Knoxville. Uh, I'm part-time leading it there because uh, the cruises they had had to go back to Atlanta, so I'm stepping in to lead the ministry, and I'm having. A great time learning, a great time serving, and uh, it's incredible to, to serve Jesus, isn't it? And uh, so I want to ask, why did you guys come to this class? It, it may help me with some things I say or just to hear your perspective. Why? Why did you guys choose this class? And it's okay if you're like, because my friends went to the other ones and I wanted to get notes from this one. It's fine. It's fine. Just I just want to hear your responses on why you guys came. Yeah. Because I'm like, when I saw like the Jew, I thought of like
1: achieving and like success mm-hmm. um, material. Yeah. Hmm. Like, 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 yeah. I just want to go mm. Amen. Yeah. Yeah, I think like career goals can
0: really get in the way of like my goals with God and like dreaming yeah. big for Him because I just think, okay, what can
1: I do? What can I do? And
0: it's like right. all my effort instead of mm. God's. Okay. Cool. Yeah, you had your hand up. Yeah. Lately, I've just been getting really overly anxious about things like grades mm-hmm. and like future careers, graduation approaches, to the point where. I fix it on those things more than, like, my trust for God. Right. Wow.
1: Okay. Yeah. I know for me, I got accepted to my dream college.
0: Come on. That's um. encouraging. Let's go. <laughs> what college is it? Was, it? it was my been my dream to go since I was three. It was something
1: I really wanted to do. And I got accepted almost with a full scholarship, a full ride to go. Um, Come on. And I, you know, five, I'm five old spiritually.
0: Yeah. And I gave that all up for God. Mm. So, like, God kind of wanted wow. me to stay where I was. And so... Just kind of on a fence of, like, kind of struggling. Like, I've the opportunity to go. Like, mm. I'm not happy where I am. But just kind mm-hmm. of really wanting to, like, refocus in like, what is God's dream for me? Yeah. Come on. Awesome. I think you two of you guys had your hand up. Yeah, go ahead. I just think it's
1: a very relevant topic, the American dream. Because, like, in college, they preach that a lot, too. Right. They're like, right. yeah, what's your future going to be? You want to, like, reach this dream yeah. beyond it. Yeah, I think it's just a very relevant
0: topic mm. during the time. Yeah, you're right. It's a huge focus. Yeah?
1: I think for me, I it can be really easy to slip into a mindset
0: of just kind of, like, wanting to do my own thing, especially, like, mm-hmm. in college. Like, we only have four years, so I can yeah. very easily drink myself and be like, well, I didn't come here to, like, be a disciple. I came here to, like, be a student. Yeah. And I just kind of, like, want to, like, do my right. own thing. And
1: I'm like, God, obviously, wants me to do that, too. else you wouldn't have brought me here. Mm-hmm. So.
0: Mm. Okay, neat. One of you guys had your hands up? Yeah, go for it. I'm just I'm just trying to find the healthy balance bet. between what I want to do in life mm-hmm. and how I can still, he'll make God a priority above of that. Yeah, no, that's real. Uh, what do you guys think is the American dream? If you were to define it yourself, world peace. World peace? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like America really appreciates just the individualism.
1: Mm-hmm. Self centered, um, but it doesn't seem that way because mm. it's dressed in all these beautiful things, right? And so we don't ever
0: think about it as somebody being so selfish, right? Okay, yeah, self centered lifestyle.
1: What else? I think having two to three cars, having a nice big house, yeah, going on a nice vacation every <laughs> right. summer, uh, having your kids play in the best sports teams, mm-hmm. uh,
0: buying a new iPhone every year, yeah. Oh. <laughs> no, I think everyone agree with that. Yeah. Anyone have anything different? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I was just saying, like in whatever field you choose to be, kind of like being the best, mm. and like just yeah, for yeah, first. Right.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Go. Uh, I think it's like um, achieving something and then moving on to the next, and know, having
1: time to you know like enjoy mm. in the moment, just mm-hmm. like moving on to the
0: yeah, the thrill of moving on rather than the thrill of what you have. So, I mean, I think we're all pretty aware of what the American dream is. It's, And it's not just a good house, a good family, a dog, white picket fence, because that's somebody's American dream. But that might be your American dream. You specifically in your mind have something that if you could imagine, if I could live right here and do this one thing, then I would be satisfied. And for you, that's your American dream. And in and of itself, that's not sinful and that's not wrong. But we're gonna we're going to compare and contrast the kingdom dream versus the American dream. Mm -hmm. So we define the American dream, but what would you define the kingdom dream as? Mm. (laughs) Hmm. A little bit more thought into it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like people were saying with like the individual, like focusing on being like the self-centered focus, I think just being focused on other people and most of all, being focused on God mm. and seeing where that takes you, and also I th- I feel like with the American dream, a lot of people get in the mindset of like, what can I do to impress? Like it could even be like your wife or mm. your kids or whatever. But at the end of the day, like the only person or like the only yeah the only person you're trying to impress is God. Yeah, so. mm-hmm. ultimately impressing God. That's the kingdom dream. Someone had a hand up back here. Oh, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, I think a lot about like saving people and like mm. people back to God. Like we're all yeah. His children. We're all for me, like, a huge dream is, like, really you know, like, going out and, like, really bringing people back to God and,
0: like, yeah. having a lot of, like, restoration for people individually and then even just like, community, like, thinking about, like, what our life would be like if this was it. Like, we're pretty much almost in a mini-kingdom mm-hmm. right now and all this are thing together and, yeah.
1: about, like, what if this was the whole world? Like, mm. that
0: would be incredible. That's a kingdom dream. <laughs> if this retreat was the whole world, yeah. you're like, oh, my,
1: my. Classes
0: everywhere. Uh, do you guys think those two things are mutually exclusive? Like, you can't have both. This is an opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why do you say that? Let's draw both of them are like a that. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Yeah. Good point. I think it just goes back to. Uh, what your American dream is and if it's if it's like your, if it's like your American dream or if it's yeah. God's American dream for you I guess okay. so just having those two things together right, I got you, who else? yeah um, personally for me right now unfortunately no because I tend to see like if I'm doing well financially mm-hmm. my heart will be with money and I kind of neglect God and then vice versa if I'm doing well spiritually mm-hmm. I'll yeah. neglect money but if they're both going at it. I feel like um, my heart would just have to choose like either mm. or, not both. Yeah. Okay. Or. Awesome. Yeah. I think you can have both, but you have to kind of like realign your
1: American
0: dream with God's like desires. Mm. And maybe you can have both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, I think a lot about like parents, like God is such a parent. So it's like, right. as a kid, I can want a lot of things, but
0: like my parents don't give me everything. Yeah. And it's kind of one of those things that's like. And a woman's class talk about this too like good things? Like isn't always great things for you. Mm-hmm. So sometimes That's I think point. it's cool because they God knows the size of your heart and like dreams and he wants to have these visions and I think things are from your heart for a reason. But I think he also doesn't give you those things for a reason too. And so I think it's kind of just a it's just a relationship yeah. thing for like make some things can really like help exist and maybe you know, like other things don't for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I'm not here to say whether they are mutually exclusive or whether they're not. I'm not here to say you can't have this and you can't have the other. But if you viewed it as a spectrum, like American dreams on this side, kingdom dreams on this side, you can be anywhere in between. I would probably argue that we're probably 85% near on this side, the American dream, and then 15% kingdom dream. And so my only goal is just to lay out what the scriptures say about materials, about possessions, about our own life and our own values, so that at whatever point you think you're on on the spectrum, at least just move it this way. Because also your convictions on, on material value is gonna be different than mine and different than the person next to you. And how much is it okay for me to have or for you to have? There's no checklist of if you make this much money, you can't make any more. Or if you have this square feet of a house, you can't have any bigger. But I just wanna show you the scriptures and so you can develop your conviction On where am I in terms of the American dream and the kingdom dream. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Let's go over to Acts chapter twenty. So Acts chapter twenty, this is uh this is Paul, and I'm gonna start in verse seventeen. It says, From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prisons and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying the good news of God's grace. I mean, we all know, but Paul is heart, soul, mind, and strength dedicated to the kingdom dream, right? Mm -hmm. Even to the point where he says, my own life is worth nothing to me. I count it as nothing. And not in terms of self-confidence or self-esteem or not wanting to live. He's saying in terms of my value that I put on my own life, how I can control my life, how I could run my life. It means nothing to me in comparison to the kingdom. I'll face prison. I'll face hardship. I'll preach in public. I'll preach in the house, from house to house. I'll go to Jerusalem where I know people are going to oppress me because it doesn't matter what happens to me or what I have or what I lose or where I go because my life is nothing. My only goal is to finish the race and complete the task. You know, a lot of us, we say, well, if, if I were to reach that point, I would have that conviction. Like if for some reason someone had a gun to my head and they're like, are you a Christian? I'd be like, yes, and they'd shoot me and I'd die. And it would be an incredible, inspiring story.
1: <laughs>
0: you ever thought that? You know, someone's like, would you really say you're a Christian if someone had a gun to your head? It's like, yeah, I would. But like, no one's gonna have a gun to your head and ask you if you're a Christian. I doubt whether someone in this room is gonna happen to them. But if we say, oh, if that happens, then my life is worth nothing to me. But where are you now? What is your life worth to you now? And don't just think about it, but look at what, how you live your life. How much worth and how much value do you put on controlling your own life, having your own destiny? Or are you just like, you know, I count my life as nothing. As long as I can chase the kingdom, then I'll be satisfied. What does the American dream say about your life? It says, it's your life. Go and experience, live, buy, consume, spend, go get more money. If you want that thing, you can have it. This new piece of technology, it's incredible. If you don't, what are you doing if you don't have it? Show your friends that you have it. You, you can fulfill yourself with all these different things. That's the American dream. The fruits of your labor can be laid up in anything that you can afford, and anything that you want. Go and live the American dream. Or could we be like Paul and say, my life's worth nothing to me. I just want to complete the task. I just want to finish the race. That life of the American dream, it's, it's not sustainable. We, as humans, we have a chronic dissatisfaction for what we already possess. It's, it's never going to be enough for us. And if it was, then why did you buy that new pair of, of shoes? Or why did you buy another shirt? Or why did you get another watch? Or why did you get another phone? Or why do you want to buy that new car? Now, they're not bad, but why are you chasing those things if, if, you're, if your life is worth nothing to you and you're only there to complete the task? So evidently, your life means something to you. And it's up to you to determine where, where do I put my value in my possessions? I think consumerism is a disease that feeds off of your desire and then breeds dissatisfaction. You buy something because you want, f- you want to fulfill a desire that you have. And then that thing gets old, and then you're like, wow, I need to go buy another one to f- fulfill the desire again. And then you just get dissatisfied with it. And then you buy another one. And now uh, it, it got old, and then I buy another one. Now uh, I need another one because I'm not as satisfied with it. And we're not buying stuff because, you know, that shirt is completely done, I can't wear it anymore, now I need another one. We just buy stuff because we're unsatisfied with what we already have. Does that make sense? Yeah. But what, is, what does the Bible say about satisfaction? Mm-hmm. Let's go over to 1 Timothy. And uh, in chapter 6. 1 Timothy 6, I'm going to read at verse 6 through 9. It says, "But godliness With contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I think so commonly we agree with this scripture without really looking into it. And we, we put so much emphasis on the last part. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And be, you could probably be thinking like, Jake, that's why I, you know, I'm not trying to get rich in this life. I'm not trying to have all the fanciest of stuff. You know I could have a great career, but I'm not really trying to build myself up too much because I know money, it can be deceitful and people have wandered from the faith. So I'm not really focused on getting all those things. And you're probably right, but we're missing something in this passage. In verse eight, it says, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Do you guys really believe that scripture? Like, it's easy to be like, I believe the Bible because the Bible's true. And therefore, if it's in there, I believe it. But do you really believe this? That if you just had food and clothing, you could be content. And when we, when we read about contentment and how Paul was content with what he had, we, we sort of interpret it as like, oh, I need to be content with what I have now. And we set the bar at where our own lives are. Like, you know, I have my apartment and my car and my phone and my TV and my Netflix and my education and, uh, you know, an abundance of shoes and a lot of clothes and friendships and things like that. And, you know, I should be content with that. I have enough. God's given me a lot. I need to be content. But that's not where the bar of the Bible puts it at. The Bible says if you have food and clothing and that's it, that's where you're content. So if we're already consuming more and more, it's because one, we're not content where we are. And then we're so far off from being content with just food and water. Like, Does anybody have food? Access to food? Does anybody have clothes? Does anybody have more than that? Does anybody still buy stuff? It's like, where are you in comparison to this scripture? I'm not asking you to be homeless. I'm not challenging you to be homeless. Where's your heart? Could you really be content with just food and clothing? And maybe hypothetically, you can put yourself in a situation where if something was to happen to me, something whatever, and then I I ended up being homeless and I just had food and clothing. like I'm sure I could learn to be content with that. But if you're not content where you already are, then there's no way you would be content with just that. And why only be content with food and clothing if you were only giving food and clothing? Why can't you be content content with food and clothing when you have so much more does that make sense
1: Yeah.
0: let's go to Luke chapter 12 Would any of you guys define yourselves as greedy? I would appreciate the honesty. Do what? Yeah. Hey Amen. I appreciate the honesty. You know, like sometimes when someone asks you a question, you like mentally raise your hand, but you don't want to actually raise your hand. you're like, I think I'm greedy, but I won't raise my hand. I, I do that all the time when people are like, who who thinks you're this? i like mentally raise my hand because I'm too afraid. But uh, no, I get it. Um, so Luke chapter 12, verse 13 says, uh, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And then he said to them, the crowd, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So this man, this is an honest man. This man is like, Jesus, I don't want any more than what my inheritance gives me. I I want to be right. I want to be fair. That's why I'm asking you not just to give, let my brother ha- give me all my inheritance, but just split it with me so that he can have his rightful share. I can have my rightful share. I don't want to be excessive. That's why I'm asking you, Jesus, can you help us in this situation? Because my brother's being greedy. My brother's being unfair. He's being dishonest and he's being excessive. But Jesus hears this and his response is be on your guard against all kind of greed. He's looking at the man who's thinking he's honest, right, fair not excessive and he's saying you're greedy like do you not have food and clothing and the ability to come up to where i am and ask me a question you're obviously doing fine in life you don't need anything else why do you why do you want your inheritance or why is it so important to you that you come up to the savior of the world and ask for your rightful share of your inheritance now it seems like this man's being as fair as possible and we can be like that with our possessions like i 'm a college student, i don't make a lot of money, maybe I have an internship and I have a, a small income or i 'm in debt. so honestly, if you looked at what I had, I kind of only have my rightful share i 'm not being excessive like i 'm being honest with my materials and i 'm not asking for you know all this crazy big stuff. I feel like in proportion to my income, I have as equal amount of stuff as someone in my life stage could have, and you guys probably all agree with that like. But Jesus still called that greed. Because he said you have so much more than you need. Does that make sense? Yeah. But sometimes we don't view greed that way. We view greed as someone who like wants to hoard all the money and keep it for themselves, but even asking for your right share of inheritance can still be greed if in your heart you're chasing those things. And that's a hard stance to have. How much do you care about your possessions? Like this man asking for his inheritance, he cared so much about it you know i uh I collect you guys probably have collections of stuff as well. I collect mugs, like I love coffee i uh, I don't buy Folgers already ground stuff to me. It's just like, what are you doing but like I like to buy quality coffee. I used to buy raw coffee beans and, and, and roast them on my grill in a cast iron pan, you know, shake all, the, all the, the stuff that falls off and let them sit out for six hours and then put them in a container. Like, I love coffee. And so I want to drink it out of a mug that's not just a cup, but something that means something to me, you know what I mean? So I can have my Bible and my coffee and my mug and it's like, I feel great. And I also travel the world very often with Camp Swamp. I don't know how familiar you guys are with, uh, you guys know Camp Swamp? Yeah. So I absolutely love it. It's a huge passion of mine. And uh, so I've been, I've been blessed enough to f- be able to fundraise a, a lot of money and, and go on these trips and plant camps all around the world. And uh, so everywhere I go, I try to get a mug from that country. And not like one in the airport that's probably made in another country, but they just sell it there with a picture of the flag. But like one that was made there or one that was gifted to me, something that, that's meaningful to me. And, uh, and so I was, looking, I was coming up with what I was going to talk about, looking at one of my coffee mugs. And I was, I was thinking about it because I'm actually, in August, I'm moving to South Africa to work with camp. And I can't take a lot of stuff with me. Maybe two suitcases is all I can fit. I could maybe bring one or two mugs.
1: <laughs>
0: so I was, I was thinking about all of my possessions at that point. Like, what what is valuable enough for me to take? What, you know, what's necessary is probably going to take up the majority of my space anyway with Just, you know, a week's worth of clothes or stuff like that. So I was like, what am I going to do with all my mugs? And then all the shoes that people have given me from different countries and, and, and trinkets and shirts and gifts and things like that. When I go over there to serve, they're so grateful they give me something. Like it means something to me. How can it be bad to want to keep that? But since I'm going somewhere and giving up everything to chase the kingdom dream, I can't have my American dream materials. And, you know, earlier I was talking to my parents. And I was like, you know, can I keep stuff at your house? They're like, yeah, I just put it in a box, keep it up the attic. But why am I still trying to keep all my stuff? Like, I'll be so far away from all my mugs that are going to be in my parents' attic that I won't use them, and they'll be dusty. And sure, when I move back, I can have them. But, like, why do I care so much about a piece of ceramic? I mean, if it's really rep- representative of the memory it carries, I always have the memory. And even if I forget, somehow I'll be reminded. Or even if I just forget... In total, what that mug meant to me. I'm serving the kingdom, and that's the reason I forgot anyway. So it's worth it. <laughs> Let's read the rest of Luke chapter 13. Starting in verse 16. And then he told him this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns, have sold his surplus grain and given to the poor. Like he had what he needed, but once he got more, he said, this is mine. I'm gonna keep it and I'm gonna use it and I'm gonna be satisfied with my life. I was reading this one book um, about uh, the, a, the Christian response to poverty all around the world or what it should be. And there was, this, there was this income challenge and I know this is not as relatable to you guys as college students, but it was a really good principle and they said, if you understand what your income needs to be to take care of your family, like let's say you have a family, $50,000 is what you make, and that's enough to take care of your home and your wife and your kids. Then if, if you ever get a raise, give it away to the poor. Because you've proven by your life you don't need it. Like if, if you make $60,000, you have done a great job at work, you've worked really hard, let's give you $10,000 extra a year. That's $10,000 that you have proven that you do not need. But there's people that do need that $10,000 or different ways you can split it or different ways you can serve with it but what do a lot of us do we're moving out we got you know we are gotten this big house or oh I'm getting a car or, oh we're gonna go on vacation none of those things are wrong you probably deserve a vacation or you know you could probably use a better car since you worked for it you didn't get a $10,000 raise just out of nowhere you were a hard worker you were honest and you worked for it but you've proven that you don't need it so why don't you just give it away to the poor what a good example of a Christian that would be. You no, know, the storage industry this guy needed more place to store his, uh, his grain. so I was looking at some things at the storage industry in, in the United States. and I'm sure that none of you guys own a storage place, like personally, right? Okay, I'm, I'm assuming. But uh, the storage industry has 2.2 billion square feet in America of extra space that we fill with stuff that we don't use, but we're just too afraid to let go of it like furniture, and it, it, it's such a big industry that there's even TV shows about people forgetting to have storage units, stop paying for them, then just opening them up and seeing what's in there. Like, that's how, that's how ridiculous it is, the fact that we have that much space with stuff that we don't even use. Like I said, none of you guys have a storage unit, but how big is your closet? How much of your closet is honestly a storage unit of stuff that you don't wear, of stuff that you don't use, of stuff that you just keep, Is your closet a storage space? Or do you just have what you need? Is any, I mean, not necessarily just your closet, but whatever things you own. Have you, how many times have you torn down your house to build a bigger one? Or torn down your technology to get the greater ones? Think about it. There's There's a neat project called Project 333. Have you guys heard of it? All right, sweet, i get gonna break it to you. So it's this idea of having 33 items of clothing and using only those 33 for three months. And anything more than those 33 items of clothing, you give away because you're able to live with a variety of different outfits off of just 33 accessories. A watch would count, a jacket would count, one pair of socks would count as one, a pair of shoes would count as one, you could, you could pick 33 items out of your closet and go, I'm going to use these for the next three months. and I, I can still have a variety of different combinations. And I could give the rest away. And I was going to count how many items of clothing I had, but I was kind of too scared to do it. So, but I know there's shirts and stuff that, like, as I do laundry, they just sit in the cabinet and I don't even, like, use them. So I put the new laundry on top of it because I already know I'm not going to wear those shirts. It's like, why don't I just give them away? Like, I could easily do that. I could have 33 items of clothing and be perfectly fine for three months. And then the three months would reset, and I, I could wear all that stuff over again. There, we, we have so much stuff that we don't need. There was also a study done um, on the average household that on an average day-to-day basis, people use 40% of their house space. And they did that by tracking where their feet went. So it's not like if you went to the bedroom, therefore your whole bedroom was used. Like we could literally cut our houses in half and still not use it to its full potential. But I think we're so used to excessiveness that we don't even think our homes are that big. Like you think of your parents' house, you're like, eh, my parents' house isn't that big. Like you couldn't cut it in half. You could cut it in half. Like you absolutely could. I've been to houses around the world that are about as big as half of this, like this area and they have four kids. And there's a mom and a dad in there and that's their home and it are the full potential but yet our bathroom is about that big but we're so used to our excessiveness you know i had this uh i can be very idealistic and in terms of like man if everyone like have all these these crazy ideas and dreams of like man if everyone could do this how much greater would it be for christianity or to make disciples or to you know like the world could be this retreat center it'd be i have all these these ideals and and sometimes it leads to frustration because you know, there's no way I'm ever going to get a group of people, a collection of people to, to do the way, do things the way I think. And uh, that, that's always how it is with people that are idealistic. So the frustration is normal. But uh, I had this idea of, like, we could, families could buy a house half the size, you know, and s- still not used at the full potential, still be fine. Sure, they'd be cramped or whatever else. That's not really true. You just have to get used to it. Um, and we could save so much money that a church of 200 people would have $2 million if each household saved $10,000 by cutting down to a smaller house. So you think, you go to a smaller house, you'll easily save $10,000 in one year. And if everybody in your church, you know, I just did the average number of church members in the Southeast, because there's North River with 1,000-something, and there's Knoxville with 70, and Nashville with a couple hundred. So it's about 200 uh, households. So each church in the Southeast would have $2 million of, of money to serve the poor or do whatever they wanted. $2 million. Just because we decided to live in a smaller home. And I was like, you know what we could do? We could take that $2 million and we could rent out a space and invite the, the poor and the homeless in and feed them and preach the gospel. And we could baptize people left and right because we're taking care of the poor. And then the news would get, catch wind of that and be like... What is this? Why are we seeing all these homeless people come to this area and you're taking care of them? Like what, what government grant did you get? Or what nonprofit do you work for? And you're like, nothing, I sold my house. And that's for the money I'm using. And I'm thinking, how incredible would that be for the Southeast if we did that? But we don't because we want a big home and we want the clothes that we have and everything like that. And we don't even think of the impact we could have if we just stopped where we're at. And everything we made past that was just going to the poor to help somebody else. You have the clothes you have. You have your 33, and you don't need to spend any money, and all the money you would spend on clothes can go to serving the poor and making an impact. I think that would radically change the way we view Christianity personally, and I think that would have a radical impact on the world we live in. Isn't that amazing? Two million dollars per church just because we're willing to give up the American dream in pursuit of the kingdom dream. Let's go to Hebrews 11. Are y'all with me? Amen. 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 Hebrews 11, starting verse 24. says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of the Pharaoh's daughter. And he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. For he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as greater value than all the treasures of Egypt, and uh, I think as Christians we're incredible, we're incredible balancers. That's why I talked about the spectrum. Like we can we can sit in the middle and go, I'm not, I'm not really giving into the American dream. I'm not chasing the riches. I'm not pursuing all these big things and having these fancy cars and and being expansive and excessive. I'm not. I'm not giving into the American dream like all a lot of people that I know. But God forbid, I say I I taste disgrace for Jesus God forbid I give up my clothes and I give up a house that I have and a job because maybe it takes me away from a position it's like we just want to sit right here in the middle and go I can have my comforts and I can also have my Christianity I think we love being Christians but do you like being Christ like where he said I have no place to lay my head do you really know what it means to follow me? You're going to have to give up th- things. You're not going to be able to bury your father or say goodbye to your family. We love being Christians and going to church and, and, and feeling fulfilled with the scriptures, but when, when Jesus calls us to be Christ-like, what is our response? And also, I'm, the way, I'm afraid that also we view heaven as just another luxury at the end of our lives. Like, we can stand in the middle and be Christians, and enjoy the benefits of Christianity, and then we just go and then I get to go to heaven and enjoy all the luxuries of, of eternal whatever, eternal goodness and, and being with God. That's not that's not the way it should be viewed. Where do you draw your line of comfort? Where is where is your balance? Or are you just gonna be like, even if I'm so radical that I that I give up way too much, I'd rather do that than be complacent and not please God. C. S. Lewis said I didn't go to a religion to make me happy. I always knew that a bottle of port would do that. It's Portuguese wine. (laughs) If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I don't recommend Christianity. Are you materially comfortable? Do you think your Christianity should make you materially uncomfortable? And to be fair, there's there's thousands of your brothers and sisters around the world that are very materially uncomfortable. But honestly, I would, I would rather be them because I've been in their homes and I've seen their hearts and I've seen their servitude and they're so much happier than we are. And they're so much more content than we are. Like if we break something, we're so upset. Like you know, if, if one of my mugs broke, I'd, man, I'd be so upset. Like I feel like I'd have to fly to the whole, the country again just to get another one. But like, it's a mug, it doesn't matter. Let's end in Romans 12. Sweet, we've got 10 minutes before lunch starts, so we're we're doing good. Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Are you any different in the way you treat your stuff and your materials than your next door neighbor? Or the person in the apartment next to you? Or maybe a non-disciple roommate? Are you really any different materially? Because you're probably very different spiritually. Like you have quiet times and they don't. You read the Bible and they don't. You you get advice and discipleship and they don't. But materially, are you different, or are you just conforming to the way the world, the world standard, of of stuff is? Because we're still called not to conform to the world. And I think that that's a, that's a like a visible way to share your faith. That someone goes, why do you do that with your stuff? Why do you only have 33 pairs of clothes? Like why you got a raise but you didn't buy the car that you've been talking about? You wanted. That's like a very great way to show your faith and be an example of a Christian. Or are you just the same, same way the world handles their stuff? It's not, it's not a biblical command to give away your things. There's no requirement in Christianity that says if you don't give up your stuff, you won't make it to heaven or you won't be like Jesus or you won't be a disciple that Jesus wants you to be. And uh, I, I was... I don't know if "tempt" is the right word. I thought about going to the passages where it talks about repentance and people giving up all their stuff and giving up you know, you know, all their possessions and paying back four times the amount of, of things they've stolen. But it's, I want you to come up with your convictions on that. Because I can't read those scriptures and say, the Bible commands you to give all your stuff away. Because that was their response in repentance. But in terms of the American dream and the kingdom dream, the material possessions, or your spiritual quality... What is your repentant conviction going to be? That's for you to decide. But consider the life that you could live, the example you could be, and the spiritual reward you would get if you forgot about the American dream and only chased the kingdom dream. Thanks, guys. That's what I have for you. We got got eight minutes before lunch, y'all. You're welcome.